Bible along today, or if you want to pull it up on your phone, we'll be in the 15th chapter of John's Gospel to start this morning as we continue our look at what it means to be in Christ, learning to define our life and our identity in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may remember that last week we started to look at what it means for you and I as believers to be in Christ. We talked about it being Paul's favorite designation, whether it was in Christ or in Him or in the Lord, to talk about the attributes or the things that are common among believers of followers of Jesus. And we learn that Jesus is the very life of the believer, and it's Jesus Himself living His life in me. And that means new life, that we're, the old person is gone and there's a new person born. There's transformation. We're not the same anymore. There's unity available between us and the Father, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and also between other brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is a level of fulfillment that we will find in nothing else. We find that Jesus truly is the bread of life and only as we partake in Him do we find that it's only Him that truly satisfies. And we ask two very important questions at the close. First of all, are you in Christ? Another way of saying that is, do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? We're not talking about, are you a a church member, a church goer, are you a Bible reader? But are you a person that has a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you are, then you are in Christ. And the second question was, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you realize that there's much more to this life than just being saved? And at some point in your life, when you die, you're going to go to heaven. But there is an exciting, extraordinary, abundant, fruit-filled, fun life available for you and I in Christ. Now that road will be met with hardships, struggles, difficulties, and challenging challenges. But in the end, it is ultimately rewarding. So this week, we're going to look a bit more in what it, into what it means for you and I to be in Christ. Now you've probably heard or you've read a thousand times that a picture is worth a thousand words. You know, we use pictures to help us explain and understand things. In fact, some people, when they're explained things until their, their breath is almost gone, will say with exasperation in their voice, do I need to draw you a picture? Well, very often with things in the Bible, the answer to that is yes, we do need someone to draw us a picture. But here is the good news. Whether it's types and shadows in the Old Testament, whether it's symbols in the Old and New Testament, or whether it's the parables of Jesus, the Bible is full of pictures to help us understand what our faith means, who God is, and what does God intend for us. And we're going to look at four pictures this morning, very briefly, of what it means for you and I to be in Christ. We'll look at first in John 15 of the idea of vines and branches. We'll look at marriage between a man and a woman. We'll look at the body. And we'll also look at a building. And then we'll spend some time at the end, closed out, closing out, looking at some basic principles of what it means for you and I to be in Christ. But first of all, let's read together John chapter 15, and I want to read the first six verses. Jesus speaking. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. The main idea of what I want to talk to you about this morning is simply this, that life in Christ is Christ living His life in me. So life in Christ is Christ living His life in me. Before we go on any further, let's just pause, pray, ask God for His help, and then we'll look at some of these pictures together. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that we can be here today on this wonderful day in January. We're thankful that we can study your word and we're thankful that we have the exciting opportunity to turn to your word and learn more of what it means to be in Christ. The exciting Christ life that you have for every believer, that you desire for us to walk in fruitfulness and abundance of life, in joy and expressions of the fruit of your Holy Spirit in the world around us. And so we ask you in this time to help us to focus our attention on you. You would turn our hearts and our minds to your word and you would give us the ability by your spirit to know and to understand what you were saying to us this morning. And by your presence in us, you would give us the ability to hear, to follow, and to obey. And to transform us and to make us more like your son Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. So let's start looking at some of these pictures of what it means to be in Christ. The first one we just read from John 15 is the vine and the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Clearly defining he himself as the vine and his followers, the disciples, as the branches. What's it a picture of? It's a picture of a living relationship. A living relationship with Jesus. That is, we are connected to Jesus, just like a branch would be connected to the vine, that there is life. Now, we don't have to be horticulturists or vine dressers to understand that the life flows from the vine into the individual branches. In the very same way, life flows from Christ to the believer. And it's life that is abundant on in this time, and it's eternal. It goes on forever. And it involves maturing where we, we grow. We grow more and more in our faith, and we grow more and more to be like Jesus. And it also involves, and Jesus points here, fruit bearing. That over time, there's going to be evidences of your relationship with Jesus, and it will show for other people to see. Those things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and and so forth will be evidence in our life as we walk along with Jesus. And as long as we are connected to Jesus, just as as long as the vine is connected to the, the branches, there is life. But if someone is not connected to Jesus, you can draw the opposite conclusion. There is no life. If we went to our backyard and we cut a branch off of a tree, 
that branch from that moment would begin to start ceasing to live. Why? Because the vital connection is cut and there is no lifeline. In Christ we have a lifeline. We are connected to the vine. Now here's the good news. Unless you are a Jewish person today, you and I are what Paul calls in Romans wild olive branches grafted into the vine. There's a miraculous process that people developed over time that God gave the knowledge to know where they can actually cut a branch off of one tree and add it to another tree. And over time, it grows together and it becomes one. They do this all the time with roses. They make different cultivars of roses. They do this with with trees to make different variations of trees. And you and I, as we come to trust in Christ, are grafted into the vine that is Christ. And we become a part of Him. We're connected to Him by faith. And through that, we get His life, His vitality. And it's a permanent bond. And nothing can ever separate us from Jesus, from His love. And through that, His life becomes our life. And that's the connection I want you to see. That as we're grafted into Christ, His life becomes our life life. He lives his life through us. So that's the first picture, vine and branches. We're going through these very briefly. You can dig into these more and more because there's so much, there's so much in the richness that we can find out about our relationship with Jesus from these pictures. But the next one we're going to turn to, and you may want to turn there, is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 29 through 32. And that's the picture of a bride and a groom. So think wedding marches, Think beautiful white dresses. Think men dressed uncomfortably in tuxedos with excitement and anticipation anticipation on their face because it is wedding day. This is the next picture we need to look at. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 29. Listen to what Paul says. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Your voice, your translation may have the word cling there. The mystery, I, the mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, it refers to Christ and the church. And so he gives us this picture of a marriage relationship. One man, one woman who have forsaken all others. I'm going to marry you. Yes, you're going to marry me. They take their vow and they join together as one. Do you take this man? Yes, I do. Do you take this woman? Yes, I do. And the Bible says that these two become one flesh, that there is a union that is created that Paul uses as an example or is an example of the union between us and Christ. That's why marriage is under so much attack these days because it is such a beautiful picture of what it means to be connected together in Christ. So here's what happens. When you or I or a person places their faith in Christ, they choose to follow Jesus or to trust in Him. So they have forsaken all others. I'm not going to follow anybody else. I'm following Jesus. And they're joined together by faith in that moment in Christ in a bond that is inseparable. 
It's a relationship where Jesus is in us and we are in Jesus. And it's very much like a marriage relationship where two people just say, we are committed to one another, we've taken the vows, and until death do us part, we are married. Happened for Deborah and I, June 15th, 1996. Um, Deborah said, I do. Um, I said, I'm glad. And then I said, I do too. And on that day, Sandflat Baptist Church, Sandflat, Texas, in front of God and everybody, we were married. Now, almost 24 years later, we're no less married today than we were back then. You don't become more married. When you get married, you are married. However, through difficulties, through challenges, through struggles, with work over time, through both success and challenge, you know what happens? The relationship grows. Our relationship has grown. We begin to know more and more about one another. That there becomes a depth and a richness to the relationship. That the novelty, the newness of it, wears off and there becomes a depth of learning more and more about this person that you're going to have to spend or you get to spend the rest of your life with. And that's the transformation. It's the transformation. You know, the wonderful thing is, I can edit that out when I put these online and you'll never even know that I even said that. But Deborah will remember forever. Um, but there's also joy and pleasure. And those joy and pleasurable moments so far surpass whatever I said earlier that I'm sure she'll um, forget about it because um, it is a great thing to be married. But you begin to know more and more about each other. And our relationship with Jesus is, is so much like that. You're no less saved today than you were on the day of your salvation. The day you said yes to Jesus was the day you were saved, the day that you were in Christ. And you have all of Jesus and all of the Holy Spirit that you will ever get and that you will ever need. The challenge in our life is realizing the truth of that and walking in it. The challenge we have as believers is to deepen that relationship, to grow in maturity. And I wrote down here, and I think it's a great picture, you know, our, our relationship with Jesus, we should have the desire that we want to grow into what looks like an old married couple. Where you know what the other person is thinking. You know what your wife is thinking. Um, your wife knew what you were thinking since you were married, so don't, don't make any mistakes there. But you begin to finish one another's sentences. You understand what... Your wife likes what she desires. She understands what you like and what you desire. And you grow together. And you get to the point in your life where you just can hardly stand not going anywhere without the other. Our birth, our birth into new life places us in relationship with Christ like a bride and a groom. And we're united eternally together for God's glory. So it's like a vine and a branch. It's like a bride and a groom, but it's also like parts of the body. If you flip just a few more pages backwards for the, the Gospels into Romans, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse number 5. Romans 12, verse 5. And let me just say this. If we are in Christ, we are part of the body of Christ. We are members of His body. 
So from Ephesians to Romans, chapter 12, verse 5, Paul says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. On the basis of the relationship we have with Jesus, we are connected together, first of all with Christ the head, and then to other believers. That we are in fellowship with them or in cooperation with other believers. And we have the benefits of sharing life together, caring for one another, and growing together in our faith. And each and every believer from small to to large, old to young, is a part or a member of the body of Christ. Each having different roles, different functions, each looking differently, acting differently, some more honorable than others, but all necessary. And all of them connected vitally to Jesus Christ, the head. He's the head of the body. Colossians 1 verse 18. And in this body of Christ, we are vitally connected. So we could say that without Jesus, we would not have life. Without Jesus, we would not have a church. Apart from Jesus, there would be no fellowship among brothers and sisters. We couldn't survive individually or together as a group apart from Christ. But in that connection, there's diversity. People that look different, act different, talk different, think different, that are connected and are dependent on one another, and that grow over time to love and care for one another, and all the while they're under the control of Christ, the head. That he is the life giver, he is the control center, and he works like our head and our parts of our body to help us to move and to function according to his plan and his purpose. That's the third picture, like a body. But if you turn just a few pages back toward the end to 1 Peter chapter 2, you'll see the fourth picture, and that is living stones. So we have a vine and a branches. We have a bride and a groom. We have the head and the body. And then we have living stones. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 4. Down through verse 6. As you come to him, Peter speaking about Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 5, listen to what he says about us. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a a In Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So living stones, building blocks of a spiritual temple as you and I and other believers come to him, as men and women come to faith in Jesus, come to Christ, a personal relationship is there, and they are built together into a spiritual house that there is a connection there so he gives us a picture of the physical body then he gives us one of a building and so as you're as they were walking around and they saw buildings in in the day that peter was writing this they would see stones stacked upon one another and they say okay this building is stacked together one by one each stone unique and and carved for a purpose and we are the same way as god's people jesus being the foundation 
the, the rock that things are built upon and also the cornerstone that everything is measured by. And so he holds everything up. He holds everything together. The living Lord Jesus does. And as believers, we are in Christ God's temple. God the builder, Christ the foundation, the cornerstone, and individuals, life by life, person by person, are gathered together, united with Christ and united with one another. And so we could say it this way, if you are connected to Christ, you are connected to other believers, both here locally, like we are at Cross Timber, and and globally, that we can enjoy that fellowship with men and women, other followers of Jesus around the world. And they all have, and we all have, one thing in common, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we've taken a few minutes to look at some of these pictures of what it means, but now I want to spend the rest of our time looking at some basic principles. Now, we'll talk about these briefly here, and in the coming weeks, as we look at more of Colossians, these will come out and be expanded upon, hopefully a little bit more. But what are some principles of being in Christ? The first one, and I hope you've heard it before, and you'll probably hear it more and more as we continue on, it's founded in a personal relationship with Jesus. That Christianity is much more than joining a church or making a profession, it is entering into a personal relationship with Jesus. Realizing there's no life apart from Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Look at this verse. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So according to that verse, where does our redemption and forgiveness come from? It comes from Him who is Christ. We also see the same thing similarly in Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14, and we'll look at that in just a couple of weeks. So as one person said, to be saved is to be united with Christ. John Stott, theologian, said to be in Christ is the definition of Christianity. And so as we learn to meet, understand in Christ, we need to understand that it really is a personal relationship with Jesus that should grow, that should mature over time. And on the basis of that relationship, the second thing is that you are a new creation. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Phillips, in his translation, says that you are a new person altogether. That you are a brand new man or a brand new woman in Christ. A new creation with a new life. Eternal, abundant life. A life that has meaning and a life that has purpose. A life that offers freedom. A life that offers excitement. A life that offers joy. Some of you may know Dennis Jernigan and his music. Some of you may have had the privilege of listening to his personal testimony, how God delivered him from homosexual lifestyle. And now he not only writes some of the most incredible worship music, but God has so richly blessed him with a large family. His quiver um, indeed is full, as he and his wife have 
enjoyed life together. But one of the songs that um, I've listened to quite frequently, um, I just want to read some of the lyrics to you. And the, the title of the song is I'll Never Be the Same. But he said, there was a time when I was sinking down. There was a time when I was dying. There was a time when sin had, had my life found hopeless and lost. My heart was crying. Then the love, then love came into my life, making heart its destination. Then love came into my life, bringing my heart a transformation. And I will never be the same again. Jesus' blood has washed away my sin. And he changed all I was and all I am. Now he's my father and his child I am. It's a new life. You'll never be the same again. And he changes all that you were more and more over time into all that he is. And we're his adopted and accepted children, transformed by the life of Christ in us. And as that newly adopted, transformed child, the third thing, we can joyfully submit to his loving leadership. Can joyfully submit to his loving leadership. You see, when God invites us into obedience, it is not a heavy-handed authoritarian rule over us. But it is joyful service out of a love relationship. Because he has done so much for me, I want to do what pleases him. We see that most perfectly pictured in Jesus. Where Jesus, as we have the record of his life and the Gospels, submitted always perfectly to the will of God the Father. He lived to see what his father was doing. And in John 6, verse 38, he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus came to do the will of the one who sent me. And that life, that Jesus is in us. The one who lived to see his Father's will done is alive in us, empowering us and allowing you and I to submit and follow the leadership of God. Now, when we talk about submitting to God, we have to understand, first of all, that it's only possible because you have Jesus in your life, first of all. That's how we are able to submit to God. As we surrender our lives to him, then we have the life of Jesus in us that, that through his obedience, through his faithfulness, we can submit ourselves to God. And that requires a faith relationship, a trusting relationship. And then it also requires you and I trusting in God's love and God's goodness. That as we come to learn about who God is and what God does over time, and that we realize that God loves us unconditionally and that God's goodness surpasses anything we could ever understand and that he has our best intentions in mind. And that when we follow through in obedience, even though we may not feel like it's going to happen, it always brings satisfaction and ultimately joy. Now, what does it mean for you and I to submit? It means we lay down our rights we lay down our agendas. We lay down our will. Wow. That's a, a giant challenge. We, we lay down those things and we say, God, it's not what I want. It's what you want. So we lay those things down and we embrace or we pick up 
God's will. And we trust in His wisdom that God's smart enough to know the best plan. We trust in His power that God is powerful enough, that God is strong enough to hold us and keep us. And we trust that it's His plan that is unfolded in His time for His glory. Now, I want you to turn to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I think this helps us to, to understand what this begin, just at a beginning point, what it means to surrender ourselves to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Again, it's familiar um, territory in the New Testament. Paul begins, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So presenting your body as a living sacrifice is submitting yourself to God. And here's what he also encourages us to do. Do not be transformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Surrender is simply just letting go. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And letting God work through you. Trust. Trust He knows what's best. And in this offering our body as a sacrifice and submitting to God, I'm reminded of what Dallas Willard says, that in that we abandon the outcomes to God. Isn't that wonderful that we learn to abandon the outcomes to God? There's things that we can't control and can't do anyway. And so we submit to God and we abandon the outcome to Him. Now the next thing that we need to be reminded of, it's the fourth thing, is that we can do nothing apart from Him. Now when we read John 15 verse 5, that comes out. Jesus makes it perfectly clear. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we were taking a test and we had to fill in the blank and I were to, and the question were, how much can we accomplish without Jesus? Hopefully you would answer what? Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because nothing good dwells in us. Nothing good exists apart from Christ. And the only way I can please Jesus or you can please Jesus is to do all that we do in Christ. Him working through us. Now this may kind of seem deflating to your ego, but if you think it through to its conclusion, it is actually liberating. When you realize that there's nothing we can do on our own. That means on a Monday morning, and you wake up and say, man, I just want to please God. You know what it takes? Surrender, availability, trust, it doesn't take doing more. It doesn't take working harder. It doesn't take being smarter. It doesn't take, you know, there's, also, there's certainly disciplines involved in that. But we don't have to be a better person for, for God to love us. We don't have to be stronger for God to work more in our life. We simply need to yield ourselves to God and realize, I can't do it, but He can do it through me. It'll help as we continually, you know, run into the brick wall that that is our flesh as we fight against the things that we wish weren't in us as we battle like Paul against those things that we do that we know we shouldn't do 
and the things that we know we should do that we don't do, we find freedom in realizing that it's not about me. I can't do it by myself. But it's just abandoning ourselves to God and saying, God, I'm, I'm letting go of my desires. I'm letting go of my ability. I'm letting go of my plan and my will. And I'm opening myself to you and saying, God, work through me. Work in me. I need your freedom. I need your deliverance. I need your, your peace. So that comes through realizing that we can do nothing apart from Him. Now the fifth thing is that we share in common life with other believers. And we touched on this briefly when we talked about the parts and the body. And we'll just say here again that if we are connected to Christ, we are connected with other believers. And as we're adopted into God's family, when you're adopted in, you get other brothers and sisters in Christ. So you become a part of his family. First John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's the Greek word koinonia. It's translated partnership, fellowship, or sharing. And the truth is, is if we have fellowship with Jesus, then we have a bond, a fellowship with other believers. That there's a connection, that there's a unity. And like Acts 4.32 says in the New Living Translation, all the believers were united in heart and mind. So there is a unity there, a drawing together of brothers and sisters. And the last thing, sixth thing, And there's a grammar correction for you. We find out who we are and how we live for him. So you can correct it accordingly. We find out who we are and how we live in him. You can either strike through or change those words. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are complete only when we are in Christ. So there are people around the world, walking around with a, I think, I don't know who said it, but a God-shaped hole in their life, and the only one that can satisfy it is God. And only when they come into that relationship with Jesus are they made again into a whole person. That new life, new identity that we talk to, that gives us a new calling, a new mission. And our goal in life is Christ. Philippians 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. Paul speaking. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So our goal is Christ, to know him, to grow in him, to mature in him, to gain Christ. He's the only thing that matters. Everything else is rubbish, garbage, refuge. But if you're like me, sometimes in our hearts there is a gap between saying or singing, I belong to Jesus, and living that way. There's a gap. We can say it, we can sing it, but living and walking in it is the difficulty. It's the challenge. That really, truly forsaking everything else for Jesus is really hard. Because we've got some cool stuff. And we've got some great ideas. 
And we think we know a lot better than God sometimes. And it's difficult to get beyond saying, Jesus, I want to know more of you. And grow to the position when you just can't wait to get with Jesus because you're simply motivated by the fact that he is worth knowing. That you come to Jesus not saying, gimme, 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 gimme. But you come to Jesus just to spend time with him because he's Jesus. Wouldn't you get worn out as a parent? Some of you may get worn out as a parent. When all your kid comes to you and says, Mom, can I have this? Mom, can I have that? Mom, can I have this? Mom, can I have that? And that's just the needy part of life. And that can get frustrating and you just want to say, go play or not right now. But oh my gosh, how great is it when they just want to sit down? And maybe they want to just, you know, sit on the couch with you. Spend some time hanging out with you. Doing the things you want to do. Maybe talking about their day. To have intimate time in a relationship. Growing in your relationship with Jesus like that is difficult. Getting beyond, this is my prayer list of things that i got to have, Jesus, right now. And just sitting down and saying, Jesus, I just want you. And enjoying the fellowship. Wanting Wanting to know more of him, not just necessarily asking for more stuff from him. And then there's this ongoing process of getting rid of the junk in our life. The sin, the the things of the flesh, the barriers that come between us, the things that we want to kind of get really hold on to tightly because we don't want to let them go so that we can make it our strong and determined goal to gain Christ. So I want to end with, with a challenge. Here's our challenge for the week. Simply to build your relationship. The only way for you and I to grow in our personal relationship with Jesus is to spend time with Jesus. Now this time, because it's a personal relationship, is personal time. Bible study is helpful. Meeting with friends for prayer is helpful. Coming to church is helpful. Worship is helpful. But I'm talking about personal time with Jesus, where we are listening with our ears, with our hearts, because he is worthy of our attention. Responding to him because he is worthy of our obedience. And spending daily personal time with God. When I was growing up in, in youth group, we, um, we learned and we called it time alone with God. Um, it's different things, but it was something that Jesus modeled Throughout his life. Listen to Mark 135. This is in the New American Standard. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. I want to talk to you about building, growing, and developing your personal time with Jesus. We could call it simply, and I hope it's not um, irreverent to call it God time. That we would make it a priority. Set a time. We make appointments for things that are important for us, don't we? We schedule things that are important. And if things get scheduled and they make it on the calendar, then they're more likely to happen. So set a time. Make it a priority whether it's morning, whether it's afternoon or evening, set a time. Choose a place. 
I'm just thinking about how you, you set up an appointment on your phone. You set a time and you set where you're going to meet. Maybe it would be helpful for you to do that in your time. But set a time, set a place. And focus on the idea that it's quality, not quantity. That you would say, God, and just pray, you know, simply something like this. Jesus, I'm setting apart this time in my day to meet with you. Will you speak to me through your word? Open up, you know, your Bible. Read a few verses. Don't feel like you have to read a chapter or a book or, you know, several chapters. But read. And if, if God speaks, if you feel like there's something that just touches your heart or speaks, just stop and ponder on that. Say, God, help me to know and understand what you have for me. And to bend... Begin to spend this relationship time with Jesus. Because here's the, the truth. Our relationship will only grow when we spend time with Him. We will only see our walk with God increase in abundance and in fruitfulness. We'll, we'll only begin to see God do more and more wonderful things through us as we spend time with Him. Why? Because it's His life through us and we need to know what His heart is, His voice, His actions, and then we move forward in that. And I want us to try to, to look at it. You know, we're, you know if, if you're like me, there's, there's so many times you just pray, God, you know, give me more something. You know, give me more peace. Give me more patience. Give me more strength. Give me more, more time. And that that wouldn't be our starting place, but our starting place would be, God, I'm setting apart this time, at this day, to spend with you. What do you have for me today? I know all the objections. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I'm not a morning person. I'm not a night person. But the truth of the matter is, we schedule what's important. And if you schedule a dentist appointment... You can schedule time in a day to spend with God. And if you're not spending time with God each and every day, you're not going to grow in your faith. And if you're not growing in your faith, then you're not going to know what God has for you to do. And you're going to walk around weak and feeble in this world when God wants us to walk in power and in victory. Make it a priority. There's a handout in your bulletin. It's a little blue sheet of paper. It's produced from Hope Church in Las Vegas. It gives you some practical tips about how to spend God time. If you don't have one, you can grab one. But more important, my hope for you is that you just get with Jesus each and every day. Charles Trumbull said this, and we're about to close Jesus does not want to be your helper. He wants to be your life. Life in Christ is Christ living His life in me. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are so excited that You would meet with us in this place. That You would speak to us through the truth of Your Word and through the foolishness of what you call preaching. We thank you that you desire to be with us, that you came to live inside of us by your Holy Spirit. And we want to commit ourselves to you this day. Father, again, asking the first and primary question, am I in Christ? And if I am, do I know what that means or am I living like that? 
Lord, we, we've laid the challenge out this morning that to, to know you, we need to build our relationship. And to build our relationship, we need to spend time with you daily and consistently. Filled with a, a room of, of busy people, with work, with family, with agendas, with difficulties, with challenges. A God, by your strength, for your glory, I pray you would help us today to make a determination to spend time with you each day. That we would set a time, we would choose a place, we would get alone with you, we would hear your voice, and that we would respond. Lord, help us in these coming weeks to realize that to be in Christ is the Christian life. And there's no other life that we can live with you or no other life that we would want to live. And that in that life, the life that is Christ, we can see you do the wondrous, the incredible, the extraordinary, the victorious life of Christ in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you, Father. We trust that you are working this in us because Jesus is in us and you would make it so for us, for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.